Welcome to the Global Communications Podcast, where we explore the power of communications to transform. My name is Sandra Coyle, your host of this podcast and founder of Coyle Communications. Joining us today for this bonus feature is June Yang Hu, co-founder of Pigeonhole Live, based in Singapore. June co-founded the company 10 years ago to help people engage more actively at events and within learning environments. Since that time, the software is now used globally as a virtual tool for employee engagement. Today, we will explore together the power of virtual communications, the future of tech and within corporate culture. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today, June. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me, um, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are a co-founder of Pigeonhole Live, which just celebrated its 10th year anniversary. So congratulations on 10 years of success. Thank you. My first question for you is, what has your journey as an entrepreneur been like? <laughs> um, well, definitely a fun uh, roller coaster ride with many ups and downs. Um, there are a lot of uh, learning, um, solving challenges, uh, one at a time during the good days, um, many at a time during the bad days, but fun, you know. Um, it, it takes a lot of hard work, uh, perseverance, uh, patience, uh, love, passion, not just from yourself, but from the team, your team who believes in the mission and and vision of the company and, and even from your family and loved ones who needs to be extra understanding on circumstances that you're going through and, and be there to catch you when you occasionally fall and cheer you on and get back up again. So it's been fun. So I can imagine it might have been in your mind as a child that you wanted to own your own company when you left university or, or was it something? No, not at all. <laughs> It's completely unplanned, uh, sort of accidental. Um, but in terms of career choice, uh, back then, I always thought that um, I should be doing, I, I, will, I would be more attracted to doing more unconventional things in conventional jobs uh, and to make more lasting and positive impact. I, I guess it checked both boxes. <laughs> What has surprised you or maybe challenged you uh, in this journey as an entrepreneur? Um, what's continued to surprise me is the impact that uh, we make every day. Um, it's, you know, to be honest, we, I, I never thought that we would go into the realms of um, um, or the extent uh, that we have gone into the internal communications, the role, the pivotal role that a platform would play. Uh, in internal comms or events um, or any events or meetings, um, audience engagement. Um, but a simple idea that translated into the product uh, and it executed well, it, it can make positive, scalable and lasting impact that could transform conversations, culture or the entire organizations, um, large or small. So that, that definitely continues to surprise us every day when we hear um, our customers or users sharing their stories. That's great. So let's get into it a bit with, in terms of Pigeonhole Live. So we talked about mm -hmm. the journey, but what prompted you to start it? What was like the big idea moment that you had? 
Um, hard to pinpoint one, but uh, you know, when we first started uh, building Pigeonhole, and we were still undergraduates back in 2009, around 10 years ago, um, you know, in, in a lecture um, hall with 300 to 500 undergrads in the audience, um, it's not always easy to put up your hand and ask questions. Um, sometimes you're worried that, you know, am I the only one that, you know, did not catch that or, um, or simply just disrupting the um, lecturers or professors teaching pace. So we would wait uh, until the break and then go up to our professors and ask these questions in person, uh, only to realize that there are many others who are asking the same questions as ours. And, and so we thought to ourselves, there must be a better, uh, more efficient way to, um, you know, make the process a lot more uh, uh, scalable for a room full of audience. And so we built up um, a prototype with a few objectives in mind. Um, you know, first of all, it must be accessible to the audience. It means they, with whatever they have, they must get it within a second. Um, and the user must be able to submit a question anytime. Um, and the users are able to see what others uh, are, look, are asking and, and they can vote up on them. So um, that's all, you know, we built a prototype, you know, and, and we went to uh, the professors and show them the, the demo and get their feedback. But turns out we missed out on one important thing, which is, you know, the students or undergrads back then, um, 2009, 2010, don't own a smartphone uh, because it costs too much, right? Unlike now. So, so we were thinking, um, who would own a smartphone back then? Um, the working professionals. <laughs> so they were using iPhones, the first iPad, uh, back in 2010, um, Android, it was in its early days and most of the business users were still on Blackberry. So um, we switched our focus um, to the business events, like conferences, seminars, um, and it worked really well. So um, that's where we started, um, real-time web-based Q&A for events. Um, and of course, over the years, we gradually uh, introduced uh, various types of uh, polls, quizzes, um, word clouds, surveys, chats, uh, recognizing that, you know, um, to drive um, that meaningful conversations at conferences, internal town halls or all hands, or even classrooms, it, it required very varying concoctions of different type of uh, audience interactions. So uh, that's where we are now in 2020. And so many people now this year have maybe elected to become an entrepreneur or forced to become an entrepreneur overall. And I think one of the top questions you deal with in your first couple of years is financing. So I think yeah. the question on, on their minds, did you go out and get some venture capital in the beginning stages or were you able to sell the product fast enough that you had some streams of revenue coming in? Mm -hmm. Um, we thought about this question long and hard and of course being poor undergrads, um, we are very fortunate to, um, you know, have, um, you know, to, to be, first of all, uh, in, based in Singapore, where the government uh, was very um, um, encouraging right from the start, even during the time um, where startups are still not that common. Um, they were providing um, different type of grants where we could apply and um, you know, if approved, they, they give you uh, 50,000 Singapore dollars to, to kickstart, of course, with some contribution from your own. Uh, and um, we, we started back then as such, um, kind of bootstrapped it all, all the way until now. Um, in, during the 
first few years, we did um, try to um, uh, speak with some investors, uh, but I think back then, um, a tool like ours um, did not garner a lot of excitement, um, primarily because uh, back then, um, audience engagement isn't a real buzzword. Uh, so um, yeah, we, we, we went on without it and decided that uh, focusing on the product and, and um, you know, increasing our revenue was the best way to go, uh, given the circumstances. That's excellent. That's good to hear. I know that that's pretty much top of mind. So encouraging everyone listening, if you're in comms, you're starting your own business. If you're in the U.S., it's a small business administration. So there are grants and loans available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you seen your clients adapt and use your software? So it intended in the beginning to be something to help audience engagement with large groups. Um, but as mm-hmm. you mentioned in the earlier question, your clients have really taken it on as an internal communications tool to encourage mm-hmm. more engagement by staff and to really take a pulse to see what are staff thinking about mm-hmm. uh, either certain directions the company is going in, product lines, strategies, new leadership maybe um, across the board. Um, so how have you seen them adapt it um, over time? Um, I think the, the first instance that where Pigeonhole Life was used for um, purpose of internal comms was at a town hall um, by a government agency in Singapore. Um, and I think back then it wasn't common. I mean, our tool wasn't common. Um, uh, it, and it wasn't really common for any town halls to open up Q&A in, in such fashion. So um, I still recall that, that, you know, they were tasked to, use Pigeonhole because one of their management executives saw how Pigeonhole worked and, and wanted to try it for the town hall. Um, honestly speaking, they weren't expecting much because they were like, our, our, our folks have no questions. Um, and, uh, you know, we even have to plan a few people um, to ask a few questions to kind of, you know, make it less awkward. But uh, I think when they started using Pigeonhole, they got 120 questions. Um, and and uh, the plan, original you know one and a half hour uh, occasion it became a full three hour um, town hall because the ceo decided to address every single question um i I think that was probably quite memorable and um when we um of course then we realized that there's a big need in the internal comms and and we I mean, over the years, we were fortunate enough to uh, work with uh, organizations, uh, large or small, um, where they use Pigeonhole primarily for the uh, uh, weekly uh, town halls or quarterly town halls. Uh, some of the organizations are larger in nature, so they may have weekly calls um, among um, the, the team members, uh, with, you know, maybe 50 or 100 people reporting to a leader in, in the branch of or function of the company. I think uh, when we asked further, we, we realized that um, what Pigeonhole um, as a platform is playing was a safe space that um, the management or the employees are as well, they are looking for, you know, um, because you know, at, even up to now, you know, there are enterprise tools that could, you could use it for Q&A, um, but the primary problem that um, is kind of um, preventing honest uh, questions to be asked is because 
um, they don't feel safe um, and uh, asking questions that could potentially trace back to them. Um, and they will worry about, you know, if, if that is um, going to impede their career progress. But um, Pigeonhole being a third party vendor and, and um, we have the ability to uh, provision anonymity, uh, even if you, you sign in using your own um, enterprise login for security reasons, uh, you are still anonymous. So for that reason, I think um, even up to now, um, you know, uh, safe space, having this safe space is primary the, re the primary reason why um, large or small organizations are looking for platform platforms like us to engage uh, with their folks. Um, and and very often these companies' uh, management uh, are already um, at the right place where they really want to learn about the questions and concerns of their, their employees and address them in, in the effort to build a culture that's more open in sharing ideas, feedback, and more engaged with their work. I think we've seen, or at least during my career, I've seen a lot of, I think the number one challenge is internal culture, corporate culture. Yep. Way mm -hmm. to develop an organizational model that really works for both productivity mm -hmm. and also for people. And I think this past year has been a great deal more the past couple of years on people. And recently, just had on Friday uh, last week, Tony Shea passed away, and he was the CEO of um, the shoe company Sappos here that was bought by Amazon. And, but he was a tech entrepreneur who really revolutionized company culture into a flat holacracy, which uh, took away job titles and managers. Um, I, I think it, that project failed, but, and he came up with another type of model. But he spent a great deal of his time focusing on culture and internal communications, I think more so than any other tech entrepreneur. As a tech entrepreneur yourself, are you seeing any cultural changes among your clients, uh, particularly now that we're working virtually mostly, there's been disruption across the board, and any renewed focus on culture and communications. I think definitely um, CEOs now realize how important it is when, when everyone isn't collected together in a building. So have you any insights mm -hmm. in terms of what you've seen, particularly over the past 10 years? Um, I mean, first of all, 2020 is just not giving us a break is it like Tony's passing is really a big loss to all of us who, who really looked up to him as a thought leader who has led breakthroughs in many areas. You know, um, I remember the early days we, we were reading about his team's uh, fanatic customer support with empathy uh, during his Zappos days and, uh, and then later on holocracy in, in de decentralizing management and decision making processes and uh, and then later on, his inspiring work in the downtown Las Vegas. So um, we'll definitely miss him. Um, um, but over the years, um, you know, for, for us, um, we, we are in the unique position that we had the privilege um, in working with a lot of um, corporate communication teams from a wide spectrum of um, organizations and, and, and had many interesting conversations around their initial requirements, feedback, and, and their evolving usage of pigeonhole in their work. And these conversations are critical in helping us to understand the context behind their technical requirements uh, in a product like ours, which in turn to help us to make informed decisions in building a product that solve problem for, for them. Um, and 
you know, over the past 10 years, when we have these conversations with them, it is, um, it, it is always a learning process for us to understand why certain culture is, is, is formed in that way and how does it evolve, especially when a client stay with us for many years. Uh, we can see literally how um, the, you know, um, change of leadership, change of processes, uh, change of the, how they structure the conversation would, um, um, and, and inclu including how they are hiring uh, the people that bring onto the team would shape the whole culture um, and, and takes a longer time than just nine months that we experience. But, you know, but for the past nine months, uh, when we are working closely with our clients to, who are required to transition um, from having, let's say, uh, hybrid town halls to completely virtual town halls, um, well, I think, you know, like I say, culture is, you know, can, can't be changed uh, in such a short time, but we do see some notable, notable shifts uh, where, you know, um, some, of the com uh, some of the work that uh, our communicators would need to do um, to adapt to the change. Um, I mean, first of all, um, more employees are showing up at town halls. Um, I, I think maybe because uh, everyone's working from home, it's a lot more accessible. Um, once you're done, Zoom, you're in, Microsoft Teams, you're in. Uh, and, and of course, with that, you know, a lot more questions are being asked. And, and um, evidently from the question asked, uh, all, uh, I think a lot of uh, the folks are distressed about COVID-19, about the job security, about um, other viral movements of sensitive nature, uh, et cetera. And, and, and I think um, it has become even more important for um, corporate communications folks to define the objectives of these um, town halls uh, to help to guide the conversation during these town halls to achieve the ideal outcome. Uh, because sometimes if you don't, then you might be, uh, you, you, you might, um, um, have a situation whereby your audience did not really understand why we're having this town hall and, and they have their expectations that are not met at the end of the day and it could cause more distress. Um, so it's definitely important to define these objectives and communicate that uh, uh, to, to them, whether, you know, is this cause primarily going to be listening ground um, uh, and, and show that the leadership listen and acknowledge, I think these are, powerful gestures during difficult times, um, policy changes uh, that could result from some of these questions, concerns that could, um, you know, ease some of these worries and empower them to do the best work of their life and continue to do so even during um, challenging times like us. So I think all in all, um, it boils down to the leadership. Uh, um, Pre-COVID times or COVID times, um, leadership alignment, is absolutely critical um, in defining clear objectives uh, 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 for, for the comms folks to really uh, have a uh, clear understanding of what they want to achieve and then execute their campaigns uh, with confidence. Um, you know, it, it is um, all this um, work that you do every day that would you, eventually be uh, reflected in the organization culture. 
Um, but of course, uh, not all the stories are uh, in this way. You know, this uh, they are a group of customers that uh, that uh, were less prepared um, than others simply because they uh, were caught uh, surprised, and um, I, I think um, they they took a relatively longer time to have the alignment with the leadership on what to do. And, and, and therefore, um, you know, we see, um, you know, some of these customers are uh, having a more difficult time in, um, you know, uh, yeah, communication campaigns than others uh, who may already have the processes in place, but just simply ramping up in response to um, the COVID-19 situation. I think that's a, you raise an excellent point with communicators going forward, those who focus on internal communications and engagement, that having that buy-in by leadership before you go forward is really essential. Um, mm -hmm. You raise that point. My next question relates to that. What advice in general, as a, as a business owner yourself, and I don't know if you have a communication <laughs> staff or not, but what um, advice would you have for communicators on how to motivate staff and achieve goals and missions and how can they work more effectively with leadership because usually communications doesn't sit at the at the senior table too often um, mm -hmm. and may not have their voice heard directly mm -hmm. uh, with those who make decisions so what kind of advice would you have for them from what you've seen with your clients and in your own experience as to how they can really bring the staff and to the table and the engagement issue to the table. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, we are a very small team. So um, we, we, we don't have um, a, a dedicated team that focus on internal comms, but um, our processes uh, as such that um, we, we well we, we enjoy the benefit of being small and and um, therefore it's easier for us to execute it but I believe it, it, it applies um, in general where uh, first of all you have to understand um, who are your people and uh, on a personal level and what are they um, experiencing every day um, because when you talk about work from home um, everyone have a different image of working from home. Um, if, if you are not in a person's shoes experiencing the unique situation that that person has, uh, probably a representative profile of your, um, of your you know, a wider community in the company, uh, then you are never going to, as, as leadership, you're never going to have that piece of information to make an informed decision of what we need to do and, and therefore communicate to the rest of uh, the company. So, um, you know, as communicator, I think um, your job is uh, very critical, uh, important uh, in, in, you know, bringing up all these um, examples um, that re is, is representing what the, uh, who, which, what kind of personas are you dealing with uh, on a personal level, communicate them to the leadership, and then get the alignment uh, with the leadership before communicating back to um, uh, the rest of the community on certain decision policy changes. I, I think um, having that, um, uh, it's gonna be an important context for everything that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. That's an excellent point. Thank you so much, June. So 
we're going to enter 2021 in exactly 31 days, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many people want to cheer? Let's hope 2021 is better. I'm sure it will be. But we are well into this decade now. Um, in your opinion, what do you see as the great new frontier over this decade in tech? Big question. Um, specifically in in um, the areas of internal comms or? Uh, no, just in technology overall. Oh, wow, that's a, that's a big question um, <laughs> all right. uh, for all of us. Because it's the Global Communications Podcast, so we can stick with right. <laughs> I don't want you to make predictions of regret in nine years. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think uh, in the realms of um, in internal comms and, and workplace tech, um, I think what we have observed um, this year, uh, evidently, is that we have all the um, tech that we need to uh, overcome the challenges that we face um, during the, the remote working uh, period, where you know a lot of uh, a lot more com coordination and communication is needed. Um, I think it, the the, the big question is how are all these um, technologies going to come together uh, and embraced by enterprise organizations um, to to roll it out uh, with the single purpose of you know uh, make um, the, the the work life better uh, as experience you know for everyone uh, in the in the organizations. Um, I, I think as a, um, from our experience, I think um, a lot of um, the, the reasons behind why enterprises are uh, hesitant in uh, taking up new technologies that are already available, um, it's, uh, well, because these technologies might be too new and might pose security risks, but uh, I think they are sufficient uh, uh, evidence that you know it can be overcome, uh, as you can see, a lot of the enterprise software as a service company uh, or platforms are increasingly being used by uh, big organizations. Um, you know, you can see Slack or Microsoft Teams and the variants of that uh, being the 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 central moving pieces uh, uh, that that organizations are looking at. But if um, uh, if if we don't embrace that or enterprise organizations don't embrace that, then um, uh, we might be looking for the next tech frontier that, uh, that already exists right in front of our, our eyes, but not fully utilizing them. That's a, a great point because we had talked a couple of weeks ago and we both had agreed that you've been using mm -hmm. So we've been using Skype and Zoom and different technologies myself for 20 years. So before mm -hmm. this happened, so it was, it's, it was kind of a shock for those of us who are already using it and had to use it for global work before that so many had not been using this technology. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I guess that would be my next question for you because there's a lot of people out there who are probably anxious to learn Zoom and all these new technologies they need to know to keep their jobs during a time where there's not much job security, but also to get ready for another explosive dec decade in terms of evolution of tech, staying on top of it. 
Um, so what advice would you provide to our listeners, namely comms people, um, mm -hmm. about how to stay ahead of the game as technology continues to evolve at a rapid pace and change the way they actually work? Mm -hmm. I would say um, don't wait for the corporate IT folks to tell you what are the new technologies out there. Um, I, I think um, there are many wonderful tools out there that are that, that can that you know that, that as software as a service platforms you, you are able to sign up for free just test it out use it um, they have wonderful support teams that you can ask questions uh, on and basically you know experiment with different platforms um, and and don't be afraid uh, of it because um, I think a lot of, of the fear comes out from the unknown um, based on past experiences. But uh, if, if you just take the first step and, and try it out, um, I think um, you will find uh, that um, you, you might be pleasantly surprised by a lot of the tools out there that already, um, um, that, that already exist and um, uh, that are reliant on um, business users like yourself uh, that would put together a case and use it in your organization. So try them. Great advice. And then one question for you, and this is uh, something I haven't prepped you for, but I keep arguing with my family over this one. So I thought, who better than a tech entrepreneur to discuss with? Do you think when that happy day comes, when there's no more COVID-19, do you think there's going to be a move back towards the office to a certain extent, or do you think work at home will continue? Hmm. Um, I think post COVID-19, um, the world is never going to go back to pre 2020. Um, so out of workplace, because I think, uh, one of the, uh, key areas that, um, um, this COVID-19 has brought up is about remote working and what are the organization um, stance on it. And, and um, a lot of other factors are built around it, isn't it, right? Like um, some companies are struggling how to, um, you know, execute remote working policies simply because uh, they have not set um, their work um, performance metrics around them. You know, if, if they are not here, how am I going to see that this person is working and and achieving this work metric? So I think, um, you know, with this pandemic in place, uh, many companies are realizing that whether um, a person is in the office or uh, at home uh, or in a cafe, uh, you are likely to be as productive. Uh, and if you are not, uh, locking you in office, uh, making sure that you are in office all the time does not help either. So I think a lot of them are realizing that and changing uh, how they are, first of all, how are they uh, measuring the performance metrics? And, and then later on looking at um, how can they change uh, the, the work policies in general, where um, I believe all of us still recognize that we miss that human element in office, where a moment of spontaneity could result in really great um, ideas, um, or if not, at the very least, just simple communication, human-to-human uh, -human interaction that can build the camaraderie. I think that's too important. Um, but you know, it it 
it, it's definitely going to move forward with um, uh, updated uh, HR policy where um, you could take, um, you, you could be more flexible um, in um, designing your workplace, be it in office or uh, be it in a cafe or at home um, that, that, that works best for you, where as an employee of the company, I'm able to do my best work and deliver my best performance that are measured by the important metrics instead of the uh, vanity metrics. That's an excellent point. I think there's a workplace revolution that took place. I agree with you on that one in the past year. Mm -hmm. So is there anything <laughs> you'd like to leave um, our audiences with? Any sage advice or um, comment or quote you'd like to leave them with? Um, I, I think uh, we don't remember this enough, uh, but um, we, uh, you know, we, we always jump to provide our opinions and answers. And um, I think um, a lot of us don't remember to ask uh, uh, the, the value of asking good questions. Um, so perhaps I know one thing that I will leave um, with the audience uh, to think about maybe is to, you know, how we can ask good questions and empower um, people around you to ask good questions, um, whether for work or family. Um, I think that's something that could uh, lead to a surprising um, outcome <laughs> in 2021 and beyond, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, June. It's been a fun and a pleasure speaking with you. Congratulations on 10 years with Pigeonhole Live. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, June, for joining us today and for providing us with an inner look at virtual communication and your journey as an entrepreneur, as well as your sage advice that you provided all of us. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for season two of the Global Communications Podcast, where we will explore leadership and communication.